I'm Marlo Higgins, and I've spent nearly four decades as an entrepreneur building boundaries around time and energy. I am captivated by stories of creating that mythical balance between priorities and success without the guilt and fear of missing out. I'm a to-the-point business coach that helps start a company, rebrand another, and launch my own. Now I'm running a thriving online brand with the white space in my calendar to spend time with my family, nurture my soul, and create an impact in our world. Are you dreaming of striking a balance between a thriving business and a joyful life? It is possible and it starts with you. Get out your field notes and let's tap into Peaceful Achievers, inspiring you to create a vision, level up your skills, and show you how to set boundaries that support the life you desire. This is 22 Minutes to Having It All. All right. Okay. Welcome. This episode is absolutely crazy amazing. It is raw. It is original. Damon Burton and I just jump in. We start recording. No prior introductions or direction in which we're going to go. But I will tell you as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as an avid listener to our podcast, you're going to learn a lot from this episode. Damon and I go deep into talking about, you know, being an entrepreneur, being scrappy, realizing the power of intention and the power of simplicity. And, you know, all of the beautiful things that Damon has done in his business to build a very solid foundation for his, you know, not only himself, his family, but also for the people that work with Damon at his agency. So let this episode enlighten you on being the type of person we talk about, you know, what you do as an extension of who you are. And there could not be a more powerful exudence of that example than this week's episode with Damon, because, you know, he doesn't, whether, like he said, he's in a sales call, a podcast interview, or talking, you know, to his regular clients or even his wife and kids Damon is pretty consistent, and that's one thing that you will find. So enjoy the episode. Make sure that you're subscribing, telling your friends, because that just helps us make a bigger impact. And so we'll be with you again next week. Seriously, Damon, like you have struck the balance on a lot of things. It's hitting a chord with people, obviously. You mean like as far as the stuff I talked about? Yeah, you're posting on LinkedIn. A few things that I just recently top of mind. I mean, I reached out because I think you had the situation where you turned down a pretty good contract just because it wasn't in alignment. And I think there's a lot of power behind that. I also love how you're teaching the kids to sell shit on eBay, which is like phenomenal. So like that is fascinating. Look at all these damn beanie babies that my kids have sitting here. And I'm like, well, I can't have them in my way, but I don't want to like mess up their vibe. And then my four-year-old daughter comes down and she's like, dad, I saw what you and brother, all the Beanie Babies are doing. They are so adorable. And I was like, no, no, they're not. They're in my way. (laughs) But I can't take them away because this was my idea. Beanie Babies. I mean, my God, that's so retro. That was so then and now it's back. But people are buying it on eBay. I mean, I'm not a Beanie Baby expert, so I don't know that it's come and gone. I think it's always kind of been there. (laughs) I wanted to teach them economics and entrepreneurism and stuff like that. And so I told them about flipping stuff at thrift stores. But, you know, you talk about balance. And I was actually just talking to my wife about this in a different context. But with my wife, the context was simplicity. Maybe I'll talk about that in a minute. But with my kids, it was like, okay, how do I show them 
the freedom of things they can create on their own and sustainability and stuff like that. But I'll be damned if I'm going to come to a thrift store like every freaking week and have to pick a wild card thing and see if it's accurate or not. So it's like, how do I find scalable, reproducible results? How do I go into a thrift shop and know what the reproducible action items are? True. So it's like, how do I do... I'm not going to come in here and one day look at toys and one day look at shoes and one day look at record players. It's like, no, what's the go-to, right? And so then now they know the go-to and then we come in here and we have the eBay app and we look up like average prices and, and then we can go, okay, what's the average price based on average condition? So, so now it's get in, we know where the Beanie Babies are. Can we find any? Yay, we're done. <laughs> you know? uh, good for you though, for teaching them financial stewardship so early. How early were you introduced to it? I wasn't. I mean, the majority of the successes I found is because I took a very definitive action to not reproduce that as a parent or as an adult, even before a parent. So I joked at the beginning, if we're going to talk shit on family, which we're not, we can talk about the reality as a family. But a, a big <laughs> part of my family is so my parents divorced when I was two. So we lived with my mom. And then I'm the oldest of seven. And as you get older, you go, like, you don't know any different being in that environment and being like, you know, either lower middle class or lower class or whatever class, whatever circumstance, like it's just your life. Mm -hmm. And so as I get older, I'm like, okay, there's no stability here. And then you start going, why is there no stability here? And then as I get older, I go, okay, well now I can identify it as my mom's choices. And my mom still makes bad choices. And we don't have to go deeper to my mom because, you know, I love her as my mother, but I don't have a lot of respect for her as an adult. And so the choices that she would make, I'm like, that's not normal and that's fixable. Yeah. And so all the things, not only in personal life, but in business, I learned from other people how not to do it. So as I grew up, it's like, uh, okay, here's not how to raise a comforting, supporting environment. You know, so my mom ended up remarrying. So my dad's awesome. I have a great relationship with him. But my mom remarried an alcoholic. They were married for like 30 years. And so I grew up with it in an alcoholic environment. So it's like, okay, don't be an alcoholic. Right don't have job insecurity because with job insecurity comes financial instability and with financial instability comes all these other things. And so very early on, it was like, okay, create stability. And then on the job side of things, it's kind of like the same thing. I go, okay, well, I worked in with really successful entrepreneurs, but they were hyper toxic. That's not how you treat employees. That's not how you treat customers. And then what do you know? I'm happily married for 15 years. I'm on my first business and it's still roaring. And so it's all these things where, where I've learned a lot of people say, well, you know, if I come out of these podcast interviews, they go, well, who did you learn for? Or who's the person you follow? Freaking nobody. All the other people that screwed up is who I learned from. <laughs> well, and I think you and I talked about that early too. We had similar paths when we were growing up. And I could tell you the day, 12 years old, I knew that I would have to take care of myself. Oh, yeah. So what you're saying, I too, 30-year marriage, wildly successful business massively, you know, staff is the same. I mean, I just mm-hmm. came from a speaking gig. I have the same chief executive officer. I mean, like, so there's something there. So we're doing something right, Damon, <laughs> even For though sure. we didn't have that path. But I think that's powerful, you know, and I think other people and I think, I don't know, there's a gift there. I mean, I like being the scrappy person figuring it out. I've done well with it. I've landed on my feet because of it. And it sounds like you have too. You're right. I remember pretty early on. I mean, being the oldest of seven, I remember changing my little brother's and sister's diapers. My wife threw my mom a baby shower for my youngest sibling, like when her and I were first dating. And I remember when my sister was a baby and I was you know, still at home, 
I was probably 15, something like that. And the baby room was right next to my room. And my mom and stepdad's room was downstairs. So who do you think hears the baby crying the loudest and the longest? So then other people, that's an annoyance, a problem. And then there's frustration. For me, it was like, fix the problem. So then I became the one that sued the baby and had it because like, that's the part that I have a really hard time. I'm trying to get better at at being more empathetic to people in positions where they have problems. And I can't understand why they don't pursue fixing them. And I don't expect them to have the answers. But even in those little micro moments, I could have complained, I could have went downstairs, I could have got mad at my mom, could have got mad at my stepdad. But it's like, no, the fastest path to happiness in that situation is just soothe the baby. So then I go soothe the baby. And so it's like those things you talk about where you you remember the moment where you had to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And other micro moments, I had horrible jacked up teeth when I was younger and I needed braces, but my parents couldn't afford it. And so I go through junior high and high school embarrassed and like doing the muted smiles because they don't want to show my teeth. And then they finally get braces as a senior and they make maybe two payments on it. So here I am stuck paying off my own braces now. I could have complained. I could have been pissed off at my mom. But the only solution, knowing that my mom couldn't pay them off, was for me to just do the work and pay them off. Yeah. So it's like all those little moments. And then, you know, you say in your team, you know, I've never had anybody quit in 15 years. 15 years. I know. Again, that's why I was like so excited to talk to you again, Damon. There's just such a synergy about you. I believe in everything that you stand for, like that freedom space and the family first component. There's so much that resonates. And that's why I was most interested in having you on the podcast because you are making those types of decisions. Are they easy decisions? No, but you're making them and you're winning because of it. I think there's a lot of power there. How has that helped you become an entrepreneur and a successful one? It's one of those parts where I need to be more empathetic because I think I've got past the hump where hard things are hard. Like it just comes to territory now. And I don't, I think that's the one thing that's been lucky in my life because there's no possible way I'm going to say anything that I've accomplished is luck. But there is one part of my personality that I think I was lucky. And that's in being able to take responsibility and understand the value in the long game. And so you said these decisions aren't easy. And there's something that I've said quite often recently over the months that now I've kind of like, it's become like my, my own little quote that I keep in my mind. It's along the lines of easy decisions are easy, right decisions are hard. And so we can take and make the easy decisions, but they're usually the ones that just kick the can down the road. And so it's not hard for me to make the right decisions anymore because I understand the value and delayed gratification or permanent gratification. And so this is what I was talking about with my wife earlier about simplicity. So when we got married 15 years ago, my gift to her was this little dog. She wanted this little dog. So our dog just passed away a couple months ago. So prior to our dog getting sick, it was like, holy cow, you know, she's had a great run. When she passes, it's coming in the next year. Let's not get a dog again. Let's take a time out on responsibilities. And so when the dog passed, then she immediately goes into emotion land. And it's like, you know, I need to fill that gap in my heart. I need another dog. And I'm like, look, I'm not saying wrong. I'm just saying it's probably not right right now. And so in my mind, it's not that I don't want a dog. It's not that I don't want a cute little animal. It's not that I don't want this and this and this. But what I do not want is more responsibility. I don't want to have to wake up in the middle of the night, take the dog out. I don't want to have to wake up to a fresh crap in my living room. I don't want to have to remember and set timers to feed them at these points. I don't want to have to figure out what to do when we go out of town. I just want that simplicity. Mm. I want to avoid unnecessary responsibility. And so then we went through this two, three months where we go back and forth. And I'm like, I'm not saying we can't get a dog. I'm just saying, let's not do it right now. Well, then, <laughs> then here's what happens. So we had this rental house and that's a whole other story. We ended up selling it. And so we took all the profit and I just 
applied it towards other things, right? I didn't go spend it on fun stuff, but that wasn't my choice for my wife. So I was like, here's a couple thousand bucks that you can do whatever you want with. Everything else is going towards this and this and this. And um, cool. Next day, she just coincidentally found a dog. <laughs> Yikes. And so she had been window shopping and everything. And I go, okay, here's the deal. I'm not going to stop you from getting a dog, but I am going to make it very clear that you will be responsible for the choice. I'm not picking up the crafts. I'm not taking her out in the mornings or the nighttime. I will be frustrated if she goes to the bathroom in the middle of the floor because I'm going to pick it up because I'm not going to teach our kids that we're filthy and leave it there until you get home or you can get to it. So you will always have to take care of it. And I have the right to complain when it does all these things that I tell you that's coming. I think that's powerful, Damon. I'm curious. Did you feel disrespect? I mean, did was she honoring your wishes? Like she went ahead and got the dog, right? Hmm. And you said at some point you could. How did you feel about it when she brought home the dog? Were you like, uh, because you kept saying, I, not right now. We will, but not right now. And then she got the dog. I wasn't offended at all. No, I mean, because we have similar conversations in a lot of things, right? My wife is very opposite of me of, of how her mind works. And so for me, and not just with her, but with the kids and customers and everything, there's huge value in setting expectations, not only from fostering a successful environment, but also for communicating what everybody's at on each side of the discussion. And so there's a lot of times where I talk to her and I go, look, I'm not going to stop you from, because because it's not my responsibility. Right. She's her own own human being. Right. So the best that I can do is communicate how it would affect me. Yes. And then it's up to her to make the decision. So then, no, I wasn't offended at all. Did I know that frustrations were coming? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And the frustrations were the things that the dog would create. Right. But my wife will face some of the responsibility of that because it was her decision to invite the dog into the family. So then the first day or two, we've had the dog about two or three weeks. And, you know, super cute dog. Like I said, I'm not against dogs. I'm not against the cute factor. My kids love it. Yeah. But Marlo, it was potty trained, right? <laughs> so so the first day or two, it does okay. And then it's just progressively got worse. And this morning, my kid goes, hey, mom there's a crunchy turd in the hallway. <laughs> so it's been there since at least yesterday. And my wife's like, uh, so about an hour before you and I jump on today, we're talking and she's just telling me about things that she's frustrated in life. And she goes, you know, I don't have any room to complain. Everything's mm-hmm. perfect on paper, right? right? Perfect marriage, perfect kids, no health problems, financial stability, cool things. Like we got a pool house being built in our backyard. We got like all the luxuries. But she's like, there's just something lingering, right? And, she, and this is nothing new. This is just something she's always had. And she's got her own things that she grew up with. And I said, this is where I talk about simplicity. And I said, if I were to ask you what major problems stress you out, when you know you're stressed and you pause and go, what is stressing you out? And I go, you can't answer it. I go, I just asked you a moment ago and you can't answer it. But I'll tell you what, I bet you if you sit down and think of all the tiny things, I bet you got 500 tiny things that you just don't even pay attention to because they're so tiny but they are stacking up and consuming your mental bandwidth. And so then I was telling her, I was explaining to her, just like I told you about the dog. I was like, you know, you and I talk a lot about a dog and I'm not against the dog, but how often do you now have to hear your husband get frustrated that there's a crap in the hall? How often do you now have to get frustrated that when it's time to go to bed, you have to put her in the kennel and she's still barking? How, maybe not annoying, but it's another thing that you have to do. First thing in the morning, now you have to take her out. Like you have all these new responsibilities that you chose. 
And so I'm like, maybe sit down and think about all the tiny things. Like, why are you doing this one thing with your mom and this one thing with your brother? Like, of course you love them. Of course you want the best for them. But can you control that? No. Then why are you inviting yourself into that environment? It's not that I don't love my family and I love my friends and all these things. But when there's an opportunity to help them, I go full tilt, help them and get out. Yeah. Well, you're responsible. I mean, I think you're so rich in this space. Here's the thing I'm hearing from you, though. You know the difference. It's very clear to you what's toxic, like what works for Damon and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. I think you can stand in conviction with your values, with all the things you talk about, like you're clear on expectation. You're so clear on it that you even know how to communicate it effectively. You know how to teach other people how to work with Damon to have the best possible outcome. I think those are muddy waters for so many people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such an attraction to this conversation, your clarity of it all. You obviously have had some experience growing up that you had to navigate. Is it because of that, that you are where you are today? Or what would you say is the turnkey moment for your success? So for me, I was relatively confident that I would do something on my own and accomplish some reasonable success. But I had no idea in, in what capacity, what trajectory, and what industry. But here's your answer. I didn't force myself to pick. I was okay learning as I went. And so the way that I usually explain the story is, you know, with my career, you compare it to dating. So you date your jobs until you find the one you want to marry. So I was even just texting my, one of my younger brothers this yesterday. He lives in a small town, having a hard time finding a job. And I'm like, take any job. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Like, are you going to be there your whole life? Right. No. But what you're going to do is you're going to learn something. And that's the part that people miss is that they're like, I don't want to go work in fast food. I don't want to go work wherever. Well, of course you don't, but you're going to learn something. So don't go into it pessimistic. Go into it going, A, it's going to pay my bills. B, what the hell can I learn while I'm here? Like my first job, I was a janitor. I was 16. Before I get into why I like the job, let's look at it face value. If you were to go to somebody and say, here's a job, it pays slightly better than minimum wage, and you clean toilets and take out trash. What part of that sounds attractive at all? It was one of the best jobs I ever had. Here's why. At the time, minimum wage was like five fifty. I got paid like six twenty five. That was amazing as a teenager. And then guess what the hours were? Monday through Friday, four to seven thirty. Wow. Three, four hours a day. I don't have to rush out of school. I still get my nights as a kid. I get every weekend off and every holiday paid because it's a government job because it's tied to the school. I learned so much from that. And then to this day, Every time I put the stupid ass garbage bag in the kitchen, I still flip it a certain way, tie a knot and poke a hole to release the air pressure. <laughs> when you, when, like how many times do you like have a really tight garbage bag and you, and you put it and you go throw something in there and it goes, yep. and it gets stuck, yep. poke a tiny hole in it. Yep. And I learned that from a janitor. From that experience. So then my second job, I only had maybe four jobs when I started my agency. So my second job, I worked at Michael's Arts and Crafts. So it was just a retail job. wasn't passionate about art or anything specifically. I was just over being a janitor. Nothing was wrong with being a janitor. I just looked for something new. Took the job, just committed to it, and apparently did well at it. Enough to the point where when I was 17, one of the assistant managers says, Hey, I am being promoted from an assistant manager to a full manager at a new location about an hour north. Would you like to be an assistant manager? 17. Mm-hmm. So then I go, yeah, that sounds amazing. And then the next day I go, oh, sh- I still live at home and that's a far drive. So no, <laughs> I got to take it back. Well, then about three, four weeks later, come to find out earlier, I said my brother lives in a small town. They still live in that small town that I moved to when I was 17. That was 
30 minutes away instead of one hour away. So I go, Hey, can I still get that job? <laughs> so I end up, I end up becoming an assistant manager. And then I was an assistant manager in one department. And then I was asked if I could be an assistant manager in framing. I had never done framing. Now I learned framing. So I got all these cool things in my office and in my garage and in our pool house that I framed because I know how to frame now. And so then from there, the lady that hired me, her name was Christy. I'm still friends with Christy to this day. So about maybe seven, eight years ago, we reconnected on social media and I said, hey, I appreciate the opportunity that you gave me when you hired me. So she was doing a mass job interview at the local recruitment center or whatever. And I just thought she was an interviewer. I, I didn't know that she was actually one of the employees there. And so then she was the one that hired me and then took me under her wing as an assistant manager. And there's all these little micro moments, probably not a lot of them directly contribute to what I do today, but it just puts you on that positive trajectory of accomplishments where it's a positive memory for me. So there's a lot of different paths we can go down. But I think where I'll wrap it up is there's all these little moments to be grateful. And even you talked about the posts and stuff I made. So I always go out of my way to acknowledge people and say thank you. And so the post I made just before we got on was I took a picture of I handwrite thank you cards to my customers. So one month after they launch an account, I personally write something. It's not sales pitchy at all. I intentionally don't put my business card in there. And it's just, hey, thank you for your trust in your business. Happy one month, you know? And there's all these little micro moments that add up and to contribute to success. And the post was about how I build a seven-figure agency without doing... I've never spent any money on marketing. I don't even do any lead gen. And it's all just through caring. Yeah. And when you and I talked earlier, I mean, so many similarities. I think that's just mind-blowing. So, but what is it though, Damon, that makes you see it? So I'm hearing there's a very positive light that you have within you that is not natural. Okay. That is a God-given gift. Did you, have you known always that you're a positive person? I was born like, it's a God-given gift. I was born positive. I'm so positive and optimistic that like you, in the worst circumstance, I still see the good. I wouldn't say I'm positive. I can be honorary. Well, that's different. I think I'm intentional. Okay. So you don't call it positive? Probably externally, I would agree that to others, it would look that way. Mm -hmm. But I think positivity is a byproduct of me being intentional. Mm. Because by process of elimination, if I'm not intentional, then I don't create positive circumstances, then the negativity thrives. So I am not intentionally positive. I'm intentionally intentional. <laughs> Interesting. Well, yeah. And I think you can play the deck of cards that you're dealt, right? And you tend to play the high road. Yeah. I too have found myself in that space. Like I don't go down that negative path or play the poor me on that deck of cards. What are you going to get out of it? I know. Well, that's the thing. It's interesting. Yeah, I see the same way. And I do have a hard time being overly empathetic for somebody, you know, yeah. just like bootstrap it. Like, let's go. Let's just do yeah. it. You know, face the fear, do it anyway. You know, and what's the worst that can happen? Those are the two mantras that I'll live by in that space. Like, why not? Mm -hmm. You know, you don't know until you try. Mm -hmm. And obviously everybody says fail first, mm -hmm. you know, fail fast. And that gets you further. So yeah, I think a lot of principles there. I mean, you were definitely born and built to be an entrepreneur. There is something that you learn is a common thread among successful and generally happy entrepreneurs. Yeah. But I think the keys to success are way more simple than people think. Mm. A lot of people are familiar with Russell Brunson, who founded ClickFunnels. So I'm part of his private 
inner circle. And I don't even run any funnels. So I'm like the oddball out in this group, right? Because Russell runs click funnels. And so the whole tribe is people that do funnels. And so what's been interesting about being in this mastermind, so I joined about three months ago, is it's cool to see the common denominators because all these other people have found wild success in different industries and through different paths. I had to verify income and like all these other things just to maintain the integrity of the group at a certain mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. And you get in there and you think, holy crap, I just paid an astronomical amount of money to join this group. Right. And it's really just a qualifier. Like the investment is really just a qualifier. Right. And that's not good or bad. That's not to say like the group just pockets cash and runs. They facilitate some cool things. Do those cool things cost that much money times that many people? No. But it protects the integrity of the group. And the reason why I give you that background and to say it's such a well-respected group of entrepreneurs is you get in there and they're just regular people. Yeah. Like they all have the same problems, same struggles at different levels. I'll tell you one thing that's super interesting. There's two or three different levels to this group. And so there's like a level that's even above and more exclusive than I'm in. And in talking with some of the group, I'm trying to generalize some of this stuff. So I'm not like naming names that I got. Right. I get it. Yeah. So this one person who runs part of the group goes, let me give you a little context. So the discussion I was having with this person was, hey, I got a lot of good problems. They're not really problems, but for lack of a better word, they're problems, but they're all good. It's not that I have a business problem. It's that I got multiple great opportunities and I've found success by staying in my lane. The only reason why I haven't said yes to these multiple opportunities is because I know saying no is generally a good idea. But I don't have any reason to say no other than historically not doing too many things is a good idea. And so this person says, well, it sounds like you've already booked the hotel to cheat on your day job. (laughs) Nice analogy. I guess that's a fair way to say it. Uh Uh-huh. And so then that conversation keeps evolving and we're talking about all these things, just like I said, like a good problem, right? How do you go to other people and go, man, I have such a great problem. Like I'm already killing it and I got this other great idea that'll probably kill it relatively easy, but that's an overwhelming decision. Who else is going to care? And so I was talking to her about that, how it's hard to have a platform and a group that you can people can understand the pain points that come with that. And so she says, you know what? The group that's one above, she says, do you know what the main thing we decided the purpose of that group was? You know, we all talked about obvious things like business growth, networking, and this. And the group thought about it for hours. You know what the final decision was? The final solution that we agreed that this group solved, the final problem this group solves, was loneliness. Oh my God. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, lonely at the top, you know, but it's true and it's powerful, I'm sure, to get themselves in the room with other people at their level. So amongst peers and you're all sharing the same problem. And it goes back to just knowing that you're not alone in it. Mm -hmm. You find peace in that space because you're not alone. Obviously, all those people are together. Hard to believe that that loneliness factor. Yeah, I just came out of a speaking engagement and people, they're just eradicated right now. There's no peace anywhere within or anywhere. And it was just interesting, a very powerful conversation. And it was around just, I just want to be peaceful. So I gave a presentation on how do you want to feel? Yeah, And they just want to be peaceful. People just generally, yeah, loneliness, peacefulness. (laughs) You're totally right. And it's in businesses and personal. And it's just like I was telling my wife about the goal is simplicity and how the things that she invited in by bringing a dog into the family. And it's not that it was a bad decision. There's definitely positive aspects, but you have to go, okay, I also have to be realistic and go, oh, okay, there's things that aren't positive. Yeah. And so coming full circle to like finding success, things like that. I think it's just being intentional and looking at delayed gratification and how the decisions you make now or lack of decision impacts what comes down the road. And there's so much power and simplicity. 
I think we all at some point go through like a general trajectory or pursue a common path in life. And it's something along the lines of you're little, you want to grow bigger, you're egotistical and thinking of it all. You get put in reality, then you want to conquer the world. You want all these materialistic things. And then you want none of it. Truth. Like when you finally get there, think about all the things. I'll tell you all the things that frustrate me are all the things that everybody else wants. Right. Like you want a big house? Understandable. Who's going to clean it? You want a big yard? Who's going to mow it? You want jet skis? Who's going to winterize it? Who's going to put gas in it? Who's going to repair it? You want four-wheelers? Same thing. More toys, more problems. <laughs> I fight every year to tell my wife, no, we're not getting a four-wheeler. No, we finally bought jet skis a couple years ago because we found them on a used site for super cheap. We never rode them. Brought them home, kept them for three years and sold them because they stressed me out. Right. Like we would winterize them and unwinterize them. But then by the time we were going to take them up to our property, so we have a cabin property, whole other stress. Like what doesn't sound amazing about a lakefront cabin? One of my biggest stresses I got. Well, we have one. We have one. <laughs> I, I can relate to that as well. But yes, you're right. Yes, it is. Can be. It's all the things like, so I'm like, no, no four wheelers. No, we haven't even used the jet skis once and they stress me out like crazy. They're gone. All these things that there's so much, like, I'm not a minimalist. It sounds attractive. I definitely daydream about being a minimalist. <laughs> Our son became one. He, um, through college, had to have all the things, fraternity brother, you know, all the things. And then literally just took his leap into life and found that literally all contents owned in a backpack and the freedom to go and do and be yeah. was where the happy was. And yeah, that's where he found himself. Yeah, he took himself and put himself in the most uncomfortable of circumstance and and parted ways with all the material things. And literally all contents in a backpack was the happiest I've ever seen him. Yeah, I totally believe it. It's crazy. And he still lives that life today. And it's just, I think it's exciting that he's wise enough, number one, to take on that challenge, mm -hmm. but then to really sustain it and make it talk about intentional. He's very intentional. He's a musician. He has music and just like you, I mean, you're, but he's intentional with the things he has. It's not a ton, but oh my God, what he has, he's so happy with. Yeah. Well, and I believe it good for him, but here's the thing that people listening need to understand though, too. You said that you're proud that he sustained it, which is good if that fits him. That doesn't mean the other listeners have to be a minimalist and maybe they like for a couple of years. That's right. And then they hate it. Then change. Yeah. That doesn't mean you were yeah. right or wrong. You were right at the moment. Now you are wrong because you've changed. And so you need to change things. But it gets back to you being intentional. Like you said, I mean, you just have intention in the moment to maybe be a minimalist. Maybe you change and that's your intention at that point. You know, so yeah, I think that's a catalyst. I love your clarity with your intention, though. Well, that goes back to the dating your job analogy. It's date anything, whatever. Like, if you want to figure out, if you want to be a nomad, then go date the concept of being a nomad and then see if you like it or not. Maybe you like some of it yep. and then take the parts that you like, just like in relationships and progressing to a marriage. You take the parts of a relationship that you like and don't like, and then you look for those things in the next relationship. So it's the same thing you can do in your career or your personal interests is go find the small parts you like and then apply it to the next relationship in that circumstance. Brilliant. Absolutely. Brilliant. Okay. So where do you get your content for LinkedIn? I mean, you're very real. You get a lot of traction. You obviously are the SEO guy. You know what you're doing in that space. But for somebody who's maybe not so well-versed, what advice do you have for them as we're kind of coming into the close of this? When you're posting on LinkedIn, what should people be thinking about? Because you've made such great traction. I've met you because of it. Tell us. I did the dance. I dated LinkedIn. 
So it was about Fair. it was about two years ago. At the time, I only used Facebook. I don't even count. I don't even know. Probably twenty years, but it was the same as a lot of other people. Where it, was, it just existed, I didn't do anything with it. It had old stuff from a job that I hadn't been at probably ten years prior to when I started using it. But then what happened is I had only semi-actively used Facebook and I didn't use any other social media platforms and nothing crazy happened. I just was like, this is not productive. And so, you know, we all know that if you delete Facebook, it doesn't really delete it. So I was like, no, 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 I'm going to delete it. So my wife was awesome. And I told her I wanted to just wipe it clean. So she helped me because she stays at home. And so in between taking kids to school and this and that, she'd sit down for an hour or two. It took her like three weeks. She manually deleted every post I'd ever made on Facebook, every comment I'd ever engaged on somebody else's, went through all my private messages and deleted every private message and manually unfriended every person I had. Wow. Then I deleted it. Wow. So at the time, I had a very hard line between business and personal. And and I still do. It's just a different line. And I'll talk about that in a minute. So prior to that moment, it was Facebook is friends and family, the end. Anytime I had a client add me, I would just ignore it. And then when I wiped it out, then a month or two went by. And then I had the one client that was kind of a friend client hybrid. And I had to message him, but now I couldn't. And so I just kind of stewed on it for a while. And then I had like one other guy that was like that. And so then I got thinking, why can't I engage with these people? And why can't I use social media my way? But I didn't know what my way was, but I was willing to figure it out. And so then I turned it back on and I was like, I don't know who the hell my 1500 friends were because now I can only get to like 150. So I don't know who the other guys were, but I guess I'll figure it out over time. And so then I went and added the people that I knew were friends, went and added the people that were business contacts. And then I said, well, why don't I also use LinkedIn? Because LinkedIn is more intentional about business. And that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about entrepreneurship and marketing. But then I also want to talk about family. But here's the line that I said I had. So before it was like a total hard line. I still have a hard line. It's just different. And what the hard line is now is, okay, how do I balance talking about business and entrepreneurship and team leadership, but also share the moments about my wife and kids that I want to proudly share, but without disclosing who they are, without identifying my kids' names and showing identifiable pictures. But then how do I also do that without looking inauthentic. I mean, what am I going to do? Tell my kid to turn around so I get a picture of the back of his head. So I had to, that was the dance. I had to figure out how do I blend both of those, the personal and the business. And so it took probably, so I turned my Facebook on, started using LinkedIn, and those are still the only two that I use. There's some content on other platforms that my team repurposes, but I personally am only on those two. So then I go, well, what do I want to talk about? you know, does this cross the personal line or does this come across too sales pitchy? Because I didn't want to intentionally go down the path of like trying to be some guru. I just wanted to talk about things I want to talk about and then hopefully they resonate. So it took about three months to find that balance where I could could talk about those things. And so on the business side, I just, most of the posts that I make are something that was in real time that day at that moment where it's like, okay, this is fresh. Let's talk about it. Are those the one, Damon, that get the most attention? They are. Yeah. You know, what's weird is my engagement ratio between Facebook and LinkedIn is wildly different. So on Facebook, I don't get a lot of engagement. I, I get probably more than the average person, but it's not a lot. So my average post is maybe 30 to 60 likes and 1 to 10 comments. That same post, I'll repurpose as is on LinkedIn a couple of weeks later, and it will be hundreds of comments and five to 10,000 likes and engagements. But what's interesting is the personal ones are always the one that get way more views, even on business. I know. We've noticed that too with our brand. 
I'm like you. That call it protective. I don't know. Just being the mom, like I'm the same way. I've always been cautionary of my family. You know, I lived a very successful life, but I keep a very distinct difference between mm-hmm. family and business. I just, I always have. And I guess the reason I do it is safe. I just feel safe when I do that. I don't know why, mm-hmm. but that's not effective necessarily because people want you to be so much more vulnerable and put all your yeah. shit on the line. And I'm just not yeah. that person. A, I think that's a hiccup for a lot of people. So I love that you're really defining what that is for you and then where you're going to go. But my team has recently put more and more personal posts and it is gaining tons more traction. Yeah. And you go back to the comment, loneliness. Yeah. People in their posting, I think they're relating to the personal stuff on LinkedIn mm-hmm. because maybe they're lonely and they're kind of searching for that too. I think we all romanticize, right? We, we all got stuff going on. And so it's like when you can see that the other person is going through it too, or the other person has conquered it, then that's what's attractive. And so like in my content on Facebook, it's probably 70 personal, 30 business. And then it's probably the other way around on LinkedIn. But what's interesting is on LinkedIn, I get consistent engagement regardless of whether it's business or personal, but I get more engagement when it's personal. And you know, what's interesting is people follow me for the business, but they convert on the personal. So I'll get messages where people go, Hey, just like you said, you go, Hey, you're the SEO guy. I get it. I'll get messages like that where it's like, Hey, I know you're the SEO guy, but that was really cool. What you said about your wife. And that's where they convert or they'll follow me on LinkedIn they'll get enough of an interest that they come find me on Facebook and then they see the little bit more personal stuff on Facebook and then they message me on Facebook. Well, this is why we're together because you had made the post about business, but then you t- it was a personal decision about family. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you had a really strong positioning about it. I immediately said, oh my God, like that's a conversation we have to have. Like you're very clear and it comes down to all of these things, your intention and just your outlook on things and why you've done what you've done. But I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a trust factor, Damon. Like when you do that, you're just, there's a trust factor. Yeah. So that's why the conversion is so much easier. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're willing to talk about those things, I think people can trust you a little bit more than most. Would you agree on that? For sure. Yeah. And it subliminally builds a relationship. When, you know, I made the comment passing earlier, building a seven-figure agency without doing any direct marketing or paid ads. And that's a big part of it is the trust factor is the relatability. And then I don't have a sales process. I don't have a sales team. I don't need one because what happens is the relationship is subliminally established. And then when they engage, we have a call. It's not much different than you and I talking right now. Mm-hmm. And what it is, is, is just like in the post we talked about where they're like, Hey, I know you're the SEO guy, but that was cool what you said about your wife. That's how my sales calls go. Hey, I know you're the SEO guy, but... I got a zip line in my backyard too. Like I had a guy talk to me about that. And then we're talking about that. Like one of my newest clients, he's a $4,600 a month client. And the first time I talked to him, we talked about my kids. He converted on a post where I took... This was in September. So he must have reached out in October, November. Because in September, I took my wife and kids to an event in Florida. So I take them everywhere. They get to go play while I get to go do the business stuff. And then... The first thing he says on the call is like, that was so cool that you took your kids and your wife to the water park and this and that. And all of us are oversold. Like we want the thing. Right. Right. We just don't want to be sold the thing. We want to buy the thing. Yes. And so it just breaks down the sales walls and it just makes a better engagement, more trusting relationship, more productive relationship. Then the sales calls aren't awkward. The fulfillment calls aren't awkward. The follow-up calls aren't awkward. Well, here's the thing. What you do is an extension of who you are, Damon. And so 
what you're saying there is you don't change regardless of the circumstance, Mm -hmm. whether it's friend, family, or business, Damon is Damon and you stay in your lane. You're just you and you don't know how to be anything else. So your conversations, whether you're sitting on a podcast, whether you're closing business, whether you're working with your team, talking to your family, it's Damon. Yeah. There's so much freedom in that. It is. There's so many other people that have to be the business guru or the social media guru. And they always have to say something profound. Right. That's a lot of stress. Right. To always be profound. You're full bodied. You're embodiment of everything. And so that is very whole. It's very complete. And isn't that what everybody wants? Yeah. You know what's awesome? So I got this running joke. Well, you can kind of see it in the logo in, my, in the background. Where it's got my beard in the name. So I've got something I'm going to ask you about your logo before we go too. So my beard, I've only had a beard maybe two or three years. This is not like a lifetime adult thing. Seriously? Okay. If you're going there, that was going to say your brand, you're never getting rid of your beard because it's your brand. Apparently not. Yeah. But surprisingly, so, okay, now we got to have the beard story. (laughs) Don't let me forget to transition back to the original story, which was about a blanket. So the beard came a couple of years ago because like I would do just the beard, but not the mustache, but I would look this is all artificial, right? Because in real life, it's very wiry and thin and it's not as attractive <laughs> as it looks online. And so when I didn't have this, I felt like I felt... Um, and you're pointing to your mustache because those yeah, that are listening and not watching. I didn't have a mustache. It, just, it was just off, right? I felt like a creeper or something or like I lived out in the back country. Like it was just, like I would just do the five o'clock shadow because if I let it go any deeper, it just... It was just a face full of pubes. <laughs> so, so then what happened was, I don't know if it was just laziness that week or what, but my mustache started to grow in. And I, I've been on Zoom forever, like way before COVID and everything. And so somebody in some virtual circumstance commented on my beard. I'm like, what the hell just happened? And so then I go, oh, I guess it is a little bit thicker today and back to my laziness. And so then another day or two goes by and the second person said something and I'm like, is there something here I'm missing? And so then I made an intentional decision. I was like, all right, let's grow it out for just a little bit. I wasn't committed to it. I was just like, let's see what happens. And the comments never stopped and they still don't stop. Isn't that something? So how did you make it your brand then? Like you're in now, Damon, you're in it to win it. So I kind of relayed some of this conversation to some of my designers. And so I told one of my actual designers and then the other is my audio video editor. And so he kind of experiments with design. And I go, hey guys, here's what happened. I had a logo, but it was like a cliche, like your first letter and your last letter. And I just hated it. It was just there because it was there. And I go, I keep getting people commenting about my beard. And I'm thinking maybe I can put my face in the logo because then it's actually me and it has some context to it instead of just a D and a B. And so my one designer, he got the general concept. He nailed the concept, right? But the beard sucked. But my audio video editor guy had the beard. And I go, yeah, put them together. And so then that's like round number one. And it just resonated and we just we just kept it (laughs) that's great though okay so take us to the blanket story okay so the beard not the logo the actual concept of a beard has taken on a whole other life of its own i get random shit in the mail all the time from clients and friends with my face on it like i got a pair of socks over here (laughs) with my face on it and then my one friend sent me a blanket with like four or five rotating different pictures of my face on it. And my kids fight over it. They call it the dad blanket. And then every time we go on a road trip, my wife fights over it with the kids. She needs it for the front seat to snuggle up and pass out while we're driving. (laughs) So then I'm like, okay, well, let's just, you know, if it works, keep it going. So then I adopted it. And then now I put my face on all sorts of shit and I send it to clients. And so 
you know, this parlays and all the other stuff we've talked about is I have a client. So there's lots of things that converge in this one topic, which is be who you are, establish relationships and be trustworthy. You're no different as a personal person versus a business person and just be you. And then the funniness of the beard. And so I sent a client a blanket that had my face, his face and his wife's face. And he posted it on LinkedIn this week. And he goes, find yourself business partners and friends that you can have fun with. Well played, Damon. (laughs) Wow. Oh my God. I mean, yeah, that's full circle. That's, well, that's a gift. And, you know, you obviously enjoy what you do. You are slaying the space. I love it. I'm an outsider looking in. I'm just getting to know who Damon is, but you're an easy soul. And I think in the world today, we need more people like you that just have good practical forward advice about simplicity and intention. Mm -hmm. And um, you really make a point to that. So kudos to you for being that person. And your kids and family are very lucky that you exist in that space like that. So that's a gift. Okay, so we're closing up. Closing words. Advice. Take all that we've said. How would you like to leave the audience today with the episode? I need to get better at this because I always know it's coming. But like we're saying, you know, I am just who I am. (laughs) And so... Uh, you would think I'd be a little more intentional about figuring out something, but just like I said earlier, like it's hard to be profound. And then it's not always authentic when you're profound too. So I think what I would say is just reinforce the stuff we've talked about. I don't think success is hard. I don't think happiness is hard. I think by trying hard is what screws it up. So I don't think you need a magic key and path to success. I think you need to take a step back and tone it down. Wow. I mean, that's poignant. That's an amazing way to end this episode, Damon. This was a delight. So thank you so much. And I look forward to the relationship and conversation continue. Yeah, thanks. Likewise. Appreciate it, Marla. Did you enjoy this conversation as much as I did? If you're looking for more conversations like these, be sure to subscribe and please leave a review of the podcast. Subscribing and leaving a review helps it show up on your phone every time a new episode is released and leaving a review helps other people like you find us so they can get the help they need so they can live their best life. Also, subscribe to our weekly email on our website at marlohiggins.com. This is the place that we share insider tips with our audience and drop polarizing insights with you. Remember, the road to success is better with friends. So be sure to share this episode to help all of you reach your goals together. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, success is universally desired, personally defined, and always within reach.